That's big dick energy. I like that. No plan. <laughs> he just goes. You're going to start real strong here with big dick energy. <laughs> All right. Well, um, well, let's go ahead and start. Ashley, how are you doing today? Dude, I'm doing pretty good. It's telling uh, Austin, our, our guest today, I was really tired because uh, Angie came down and spent you know a few days uh, down in Charleston. And so I had a training partner for the first time in a really long time outside of Eric. Um, not that there's anything wrong with Eric, but you know, someone vibing on team Tom and Nick train, they know how we, we train till failure. And she did some force reps and man, I am still taxed. I've been sleeping like nine, nine and a half hours. And I'm still like feeling pretty, pretty shaky, but no, it's good. Uh, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I had a good week. It wasn't too crazy. I had to Lately, I've been like taking a lot more time for myself, like just to let myself decompress to get more hours of sleep, stuff like that. Like um, just because the whole dual coaching and uh, full time job thing is is a lot. So I've been trying to with the the time I have, you know, I just try to focus on recovering. I focus mm-hmm. on sleeping more and making myself um, better for what, you know, you have to like moderate yourself somehow. Um, and so I know that if I can make my, like when I have extra time, take that time to recover, it's going to make me better at managing stress later. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I do it that way. Um, but yeah, so we have our second guest here, Austin. Um, how do you, is it stout or is it stout? Yep. Stout. Well, stout. Yeah. Just like it's just like the, uh, it was be you know, pronounced from the dictionary. So, okay. Stout. So I hear some people call you stout and then sometimes it's stout. So I just wasn't, well, they got it wrong. It's stout. <laughs> <Lame>. <laughs> okay. Well, we have Austin here. Um, Austin, like, let's hear a little bit about you. Like, I'm sure that a ton of the listeners here know who you are, but I want to hear about you and your personal journey and who you are as a coach and what you have going on. Okay. Yes, sure. A lot of people have heard the intro before, but I'll give you condensed versions. So um, I have been coaching for uh, what we're going to 2022. So that'll be my 12th or 13th year. I mean, I basically started 2009, started coaching. So give you an idea. Um, Pre- pre-Instagram. I think Instagram started in 2010. I could be a little wrong on that, but I, I'm, I think I'm right. But, um, you know, I started, uh, like a lot of people did, I was in athletics. I was a wrestler. Um, I wanted to learn how to improve performance. And I figured with wrestling being a weight restricted sport, like I saw what people were doing. I thought there had to have been a better way. So I kind of explored it. What I found was, most of the information that I found regarding weight training, weight loss, fat loss, all that was all from bodybuilders or bodybuilding publications, you know, magazines, stuff like that. So I'm like, well, these people, they know something because, you know, that's where all the information is coming from. So that kind of attracted me to that. And I really started doing those bodybuilding lifestyle, you know, in around that time, probably 17, 16, 17. And then I transitioned straight into, I was actually prepping for my first competition, my senior year of high school, I was in high school. So 
I did the teen division. I brought all my food to school. I weighed all my food. You know, most kids don't have a clue like what's going on at any time during any point during the day when you're 17, 18, I was literally bringing my food to school, you know, doing the whole night. So, um, went into personal training, like a lot of people, you know, I kind of started in that space because coaching was not even a thing hardly. I mean, there was a, there was some, there were some, but not many. And to find them, you had to know somebody like you had to, you had to have known somebody somehow to even like encounter a coach. So, um, I started with the personal training and obviously I found that there was a need for nutrition and started helping people so on and so forth very loosely. Right. And then started realizing, well, I'm going to make, I'm actually making more money at the nutrition part than I am the training part. So, um, I transitioned, you know, I was going to school for, uh, is going to school for actually was in basically all my general education stuff. I wanted some kind of medical field. I didn't know if it was going to be physical therapy or what it was going to be exactly. But then I, I kind of got away from that when I started actually, I wasn't making a lot of money. I was, I'm just saying like I had, I was making something enough to live on. So I'm like, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. So I literally decided I started coaching around 19 is probably like my first person that paid me for, you know, a plan. And then by 21, that was my full-time job. Pretty much. Uh, I've been self-employed my whole life, my whole like adult life. So it's really looking back, I'm like, man, that was a really ballsy move. But at the same time, I was broke kid. Like had I, had it not worked, I wouldn't have, you know, I would have been back to zero again. So it wouldn't really (laughs) made any difference. How did you manage like to, to build your roster with no, uh, with, with no Instagram? Cause I feel like, like without Instagram, like, I don't know what we would do. Yeah. <laughs> but how did well, you do I mean, that? Everything started on, well, everything started on Facebook. Right. And that's why people ask me now, I still use Facebook a lot because I still have, I have a big following on Facebook still because I've been on there for so long. So, um, and now of course there's so many platforms because maybe, and I tell people this, I'm like, just use whatever platform gets you, you know, put the most time into the platform that gives you the most return. Right. Like I have a YouTube channel where I put videos and stuff. I'm not going to make money, like tons of money on YouTube. It's just because I don't have like clickbaity, like ridiculous stuff. And so it's not going to, it's too specific. Right. But I do know, you know, on Facebook and Instagram, I have, you know, the following, but forums too. We all used forums. That's what everybody used. A lot of people knew me on forums. I had a log on there. I would log everything I did, talk about it and get interest that way. And then just referrals beyond that uh, by, by probably 23, 22 or 23, I was not training people in person anymore. And coaching was all that I did online. Right. So that, you know, that brought me to this point. I know now it's so funny because I see, and obviously I have mentorship program and stuff and I work with so many different people and I see coaches now and everyone's, um, you can definitely get, you can accelerate your business now so much more than you could then. Uh, But I also kind of laugh at the same time because I'm thinking this literally took me over a decade to get here and People are, you know, people are generally impatient. I just, I posted, 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 posted information, information. I, 
tried to figure out stuff that nobody was talking about. Like I was talking about digestion. I was talking about hormones. And granted, I didn't know nearly what I know now, but I was talking about those things. I knew that they were important way back, you know, way back when, um, I was talking about like doing a Dutch test in like 2014 or 15 or whenever it was, you know, where nobody knew even what the heck that was, but now everybody knows, yeah. you know, so. Cause you taught him. Exactly. Right. Cause, well, you, cause everyone <laughs> took, took, took that class. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of my background. It's just really like, it's not a super exciting background. It's just really, it's uh, that hundreds of thousands of hours of just repetition and trying to get better, you know? So. Right. And I know yourself uh, taught, but did you end up finishing your degree or do you just decide yeah. to go off? Mm-hmm. No, I do. I, do, I got a degree, but again, like do you, does it make that much of a difference? Yeah. No, I've frankly, you know, it's in my, my signature and my like email signature, but I have literally never one single time asked me, people ask me what my credentials are. Not yeah. once, not even, not like, Hey, do you have a degree? They don't even ask me any thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's because again, a lot of this is just referrals at a point, And a lot of this is content, right? So the people that come to you, they, they don't get to you by mistake. They've either a, they followed you, B they've been referred to you or something, you know, something or some combination of the two. So by the time they are asking you for coaching, they're probably already at least like 50% of the way in the door, you know? So no, I did finish, but I probably would have done, I probably would have went to school for psychology had it not been for coaching, but I didn't want to go for eight years for, to be in all that debt for a job that doesn't really pay very well. Right. <laughs> so. yeah. When would you say you got like comfortable with what you were making in coaching? Mm. Like how long, like how long was it? Oh, it took a while. Uh, comfortable. <laughs> I mean, I was pretty, pretty minimalistic in the way that I lived. I mean, so when you're bodybuilding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my expenses are obviously like food and stuff, but yeah. I would say I was always self-sustaining. Like I moved out at like 18, you know, and I was self-sustaining. I was super broke, super broke, but I mean, comfortable probably in the last, probably in the last, we go into 2022, so maybe like the last seven to eight years. And then I'm, and there's different levels of comfort. You know what I mean? Comfort's like, Oh, I can pay my bills and, I'm not like overdrafting my account all the time. Right. Or whereas like comfort now to me is like, I can, if I want to buy something or do something, I don't even have to think about it. I can just do it. You know what I mean? So there's definitely like different levels of comfort, but also level of comfort in your thirties versus your twenties. Oh yeah. is is totally (laughs) different. You know what I mean? So paying for all my morphogen subs is comfort for me. Yeah. Your goals, your goals change and your expectations change. And you, it's funny. Cause I was having this conversation with one of my mentorship clients the other day, and he has this fear all the time and he has a decent roster. You know, he's got, he's pretty sustainable, but he has this fear all the time that he's going to lose everything. And I still to this day get that sometimes like, yeah. even though, reputation I feel like rock solid you know everything's there and I've built 
that foundation over so long, but I still, that keeps me on my toes. You know what I mean? That that's making sure that I'm always trying to be nice to people and not kiss ass, but like treat people the way I'm supposed to and customer service and, you know, doing a good job because there's so, there are so many coaches, but there's also, there's also so, if you go talk to people in the industry, like you get referred to someone, one of the things I ask about on my consultations is actually if they've had any bad past coaching experiences. And I don't ask who it is because it's not really relevant, but you know, I'm getting two things out of that. One, the bad coaching experience is them. There's that people, it can be just as much them as the coach or more, or I just like to gain insight and to make sure that I'm not doing things that other people are doing, you know, that are maybe a turnoffs in terms of, in terms of what people, you know, what people's expectations are, because yeah, I mean, I hear all kinds of crazy stuff and think less like, how do people even have clients? <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. So yeah, it did. I would say like coaching has taught me a lot of things, but it, it keeps me accountable without having to ask in a way. Um, nobody sure. has to, t- you know, nobody has to tell me like to, to be nice to people now. It's kind of like that it does keep you on your toes where it's, it's kind of like, you know, that that is a way that you are being held accountable to be a decent like person and, and, right. and also to, to give the best service possible. Cause at, at any point, like you're, you might not do what you love to do. Right. So you never know, yeah. you never know. Like, yeah. so this coaching is unlike anything else in that if you go to a business for a service, like my dad and my grandfather own an automotive business, my dad still runs it. And he goes in customer services. He works for the customer. He makes the customer happy, you know, so on and so forth. We play an interesting role because we are the authority, but we're also the employee at the same time. Yes. So you have to be, there's really not anything like it. You know, it's like, it's like we, ha- you have to earn the respect of the client where they're not battling you all the time and they're questioning everything you're doing to where they just listen to you. It's almost like, Hey, just kind of, you just shut up and listen type thing. But you also at the same time can't, you know, you don't want to be a jerk. Right. So that it's a really interesting kind of dynamic that we have to uphold, I guess. Yeah. Cause you're also, you know, a manager, cause no one's going to tell us to post. Like no one's going to tell us to create content. That's also on us to make sure that we continue to yeah. stay on top of our education, making sure we're taking classes, getting mentorships, or like I said, just being a, a educational presence on Instagram as well. Yep. I, I had no business plan. I had no mentor. I had no nothing. So it's like, just, I just figured if I just keep shoving this stuff down people's throat over and over again, and it's good stuff, then I'm going to gain recognition. And that's really, and it's just coaching is very much momentum, like one plus one equals two, and then it's four and then it's eight. And then, and then you accumulate, but that initial momentum is really difficult. Yeah. To get. Oh, oh man. I, I feel that a hundred percent, you know, as like a newer coach, now I'm gaining momentum, but like as a newer coach, like that really, <sighs> you have to find ways to like continue to stay confident, right. in what you're doing and what you're talking about and knowing that, like, even if you're not getting a huge response, like you still have content, that's great content anyway. Um, it's stuff that people still want to learn from. And, um, 
whether it's a year from now that people are learning from you or right now, like either way, that content is helping you now and later, you know, mm-hmm. and it's helping your, your reputation and your repertoire and all that. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's like, that was all gold right there. Yeah. Um, but what we're here to talk about is gut health, the gut health mm-hmm. basics. Um, so can you explain like the basic like the basics of the processes of digestion um and how how it impacts physique development sure yes i mean digestion is we hear the word digestion and a lot of people know digestive issues are bad and so on and so forth but digestion is is a pretty complex process in that it starts with simple things like chewing and salivary enzymes and things like that and then of course um you know, the food will move down to your stomach, different macronutrients are broken down at different points of the digestive process. Like we know that carbohydrates are digested pretty quickly. Like they'll start, start to start in the mouth. We know that proteins require acid and things of that nature. So that's most like in the stomach. We know they're broken down to amino acids. We uh, fats digest pretty slowly. They, they really have to make it all the way down to like the intestines to really, you know, get all that digestion going. So Those things are, those things are important to know to an extent, I think, but within the physique industry, we need to know, I think at least common trends and ailments and things that we're going to run into the most. And I know that's, that's what you guys wanted to talk about a little bit more, but digestion in general is, I don't know if I want to say it's the most important thing ever, but I mean, it's certainly it's certainly on that list of like, if I had to make a list, you know, one thing on each finger, it's going to have one of those fingers. So, so yeah, it's, it's going to be, you know, nutrient absorption also playing into brain health. We know the gut brain connection, um, quality of life and just every, I mean, everything in general. And I always, I always use really, I try to make it really basic when I explain to people, uh, especially newer clients, why, why it's important or how it affects them. Like, think about when you have a tummy ache. Think about when your when your stomach's upset. Is your mood worse? Generally, yes. right, right. So, you know, it's affecting you know it's affecting the overall functionality of the body, and that's what we have to think about, right? So, and we know that in some cases it might even be affecting hormone health. Like we know estrogen dominance, re- recirculating estrogen back into the body. So there's so nothing I- any issue nothing happens in isolation, at least not for very long. Like let's digestion. For example, you could have a digestive issue. That's just that, but it's only going to be just that for a little period of time before other mechanisms start to interact. Um, cortisol, right? Like we know cortisol is a a coping mechanism for stress. Cortisol is fine on its own in short periods for short bursts, things like that. But we know over time, obviously with chronic release, then we run into other issues. So for us, I think we're really more of investigators figuring out what's causing the digestive issues, what things do we really need to focus on? And that's where, that's where now, since there's so many people talking about functional health, that things get really confusing because a lot of people that maybe aren't coaches and a lot of people that even are coaches, they, there's so much advertisement like, Hey, if you have bloating and this and that, this is what you need. This will fix everything. This is your product. This is this, you know, 
take your probiotics or what, you know, whatever it is, right? The, the fact of the matter is the body has built in mechanisms to regulate everything. So our goal really isn't necessarily to just to take something to fix something. It is to figure out why are these mechanisms not doing what they're supposed to be doing in the first place. Now, does that involve supplements and things? Sure. I mean, those things can help protocols speed up the process, right? But, you know, I'm seeing things like this, you know, protocol for this, 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 and this, and we're kind of missing the boat on why they might be happening or what we really need to do to fix them. Because I, I came, I've come to this conclusion now, and I've said this on maybe probably another podcast, but we're talking about protocols for supplements. And really, if you implement a protocol without really understanding why something's happening, you're really no different than a doctor writing a prescription for a side effect that's happening without addressing why. Now, is it better than a medication? Yeah. I mean, maybe it has less side effects potentially, but it's the concepts kind of the same, you know what I mean? So, so that's where, when I talk about digestion, if you know nothing about it, I like to talk about kind of what the basics, what the basic issues are, and then why do they happen? Because if we know why they happen, then we're in a pretty good position to start fixing them. Right, right. I want to touch on a little bit with what you were talking about, about the gut brain access and cortisol. So for some people, they might not even understand that there is a gut brain access. So can you kind of talk a little bit about how those are connected and why that's so important? Sure. So the gut is, the gut communicates with the brain through the nervous system. So different branches, we know the central nervous system, we know that's involved in weight training, getting us fired up, stimulated. We have that autonomic nervous system, which is the branch that's pretty heavily involved in the digestive system because our sympathetic drive is that like flight or flight, you know, fight or flight response or parasympathetic is rest and digest. So digestive processes are going to be more parasympathetic, right? Um, now we have something called the vagus nerve that connects the gut and the brain. This, you know, sends signals, right? So if you disrupt this balance between autonomic and the autonomic nervous system between sympathetic and parasympathetic, you could potentially have gut issues or create gut issues over time. Okay. So this is a bad cycle because now the gut communicates with the brain, but the brain also communicates with the gut. So one, so like one or the other is causing each other, but then once you get one out of whack, they're both giving negative feedback back and forth to each other. It's like, Hey brain, we're in trouble. Hey gut, we're in trouble. So you're in, now you're in like this revolving door of, of issues. Hence why if you do have chronic gut issues, whether it be like SIBO or, you know, common ones like that, that's generally why people have things like brain fog, you know, generally why people have more fatigue, or that's even why maybe when you have a flare up of those gut issues that you feel worse during the flare ups than you would feel when you don't have a flare up. I mean, as if people, and most people don't have really good general awareness of this, like new clients, but if you get a new client and you go through and they actually get an understanding of what it's like to feel good or normal, and then they go out and they have their first like big free meal or something, and then they feel bad, like, oh, I never noticed that before. 
like, well, yeah, I mean, it was probably always there. It's just that it's just that now you're a little more cognizant of it. So you're realizing all of that, you know, the brain's like, Hey, this, why, what are you doing to our gut? Why are you putting this in there? So yeah, those two systems heavily communicate with each other. I talked about that in my class. I talked about how some researchers actually will say that IBS, which, you know, IBS irritable bowel syndrome is kind of like a general blanket diagnosis for whatever, right. Is actually a neurological issue, which is interesting, which most people that know anything about the gut and the brain is probably going to agree because we're driving some kind of gut dysbiosis or gut issue because of an issue with the brain. In this case, normally stress, right? So yeah, those two things are heavily, heavily connected. Um, even uh, so chronically and also acutely examples would be, I had a, one the other day, I had a client, they started training is a new client started working out. They, we ramped up some, some, a lot more intense training than what they'd previously been doing. And they, they had their first like really intense session and then they were in a hurry. So they crammed down their post-workout meal right afterwards. And then oh. they like straight to the toilet. Right. Yeah. yeah. Because of course, because their body's, you know, all sympathetically driven. So it's like, Oh, Oh, <laughs> that evacuate. Right. So that would be an example of a, an acute situation where the nervous system is really far off where it needs to be to digest that food. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I have this same response when I train, so I have to, I have to wait a little while, like, and let my nervous system come down, um, and get into a, a PNS state before I can eat. Otherwise, like I have, I mean, being in the off season, like, obviously I'm pushing a lot of food anyway, but, um, so that's, that's a different stressor, but I experienced something similar. Like, I mean, like usually on, it's usually on the larger days, like on leg days, anything that's super intense, that's going to be very intense. Like I have to be super cognizant of my timing for my meal afterward. Um, because of this stress response that I have that literally affects my digestion. So because I'm like sympathetically driven, like I can't digest properly and I have to wait and I have to kick back, like put my feet up, chill before I can like do some deep belly breathing before I can eat a meal. It's crazy. You know? Yeah. yeah. A lot of people don't think that far. No, no. I mean, that's, and that's, that's like digestion one-on-one basic chew your food, you know, be calm before you eat take your time. If you have, you have, if you have that ability, don't try to just cram all your food down. It's like, that's really basic stuff. That's going to enhance anyone's digestion mm-hmm. for sure. Um, so we can talk about more specific issues that we run into most commonly in, I don't know. I'm not going to say like in physique athletes, cause it's just anyone in general. My clientele is pretty varied. It's, you know, 50% competitors, maybe 50% non. So most common stuff we probably see is, well, I should say most of the time we see all of these things kind of happen in combinations. So common things would be leaky gut, SIBO, um, or at least like some type of gut dysbiosis. In other cases, you may see other bacterial overgrowth issues like candida can happen. Um, H. pylori sometimes, 
Um, I mean, those are kind of those are kind of your most common. There are other things that I do see. I get so many of these that what's common to me and what's common to someone else might be different. But I mean, I get I'll occasionally get things like like parasites and you know weird C diff and stuff like that, which is not what most people are dealing with. But my point there is, you get chronically. <laughs> If you have a gut issue for long enough and you chronically are just driving this, this stress response, then you can end up with two, three, four, five, six different things at once. And it gets to be a real mess. So like looking at GI maps, because I use GI maps with some people, especially the really chronic cases. And it's like the whole thing's like a red. It's like red, 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 red. Everything's red. <laughs> you know? So you get some, you get some pretty, some pretty difficult ones in that sense. But um, most commonly, like I said, issues are driven by stress. Okay. So that's, there's no arguing that anyone that disagrees with that probably has not worked with many different types of people and stress is the difficult thing about stress is sometimes it's difficult to spot because we're basically just relying on client feedback, right? We can, we can do testing. We can look at certain things, but also we're relying on client feedback, which is pretty subjective. A lot of the time, you know, when you get people that have most of the people that have gut issues that are more gen pop, they don't even know, or they might know that they have something, but they don't really understand to what extent. So they, I'll get people that don't report, Hey, I haven't, I haven't gone to the bathroom in four days. All right. That's relevant. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, that's like, that is part of what you're supposed to be telling me. So, so, just being aware that there's even an issue, I think is difficult for some people. Um, but back to the stress piece, the stress accumulation is something that happens acutely. Like we said, we talked about the training instance and, and also cumulative over time. So the problem is that most often it's, it's really like low to moderate grade stress that kind of builds up over time that people don't recognize. So things like your daily routine, stress at work, family stress, relationship stress, things that maybe you're so used to it that you really just don't pay attention to it. And it's, it's like the water dripping on your forehead every day for, and it's, I'm not talking months. You, I'm getting cases where people have probably had SIBO or something for like five years or more in a lot of these cases. So they, they've been dealing with this stuff a long time. It's just like anything else. It's like the person that they don't really acknowledge their problem until they have that heart attack, yeah. you know, it's like, so that's kind of, it's really kind of the same thing. Um, so what can we do? Well, I mean, I think any intake is, you know, we're intaking a new client is just looking at what is the easiest stuff that we can pull from to begin with? Like, where can we easiestly, you know, most easily clean up their routine? If someone's routine sucks in terms of sleep, that's an easy one. Maybe potentially, at least we can tell them the, the information they need. That part's easy. Um, stress response, stress response is the hardest thing to teach people. Uh, that's because it's habitual. You know, you just, you get used to acting a certain way. You get used to acting a certain way towards situations, right? So people are, I mean, I told you I, I like psychology. So this is, you know, this was like all stuff that I kind of gathered over time is that just, people are just emotionally responsive creatures. They don't think very 
objectively, right? And we all, we all do it. I'm guilty of it. Everyone's the difference between me now and someone else is that I can recognize things pretty quickly and kind of put a stop to it, not let it, not let it linger. You know what I mean? There's literally no way that you could possibly never, ever get stressed or have an emotional response to something. That's not going to happen. It's more of a matter of how often does it happen? How long does it last? You know, if you're jumping on the scale in the morning and you're mad about your weight and your whole day's shit because of that, and you're stressed out all day, that's not good stress control, right? So just making people, just awareness. Um, I, I might've saw the post I made the other day about self-awareness and just like six, it was like six little things that show you, you might lack self-awareness. This is 90% of the people that have a gut issue, hormone issue, or something of that nature. They literally just have no freaking idea that they're even, that their body is even stressed out in the first place, right? Until it gets so bad that it's affecting their day-to-day activities. If it, if it gets to the point where they're like, holy shit, I am so tired that I can't perform daily tasks, then they recognize it potentially. And that might even be after they've covered it up with, you know, 1500 milligrams of caffeine for a year. Then, then, you know, there's a lot of steps. There's a lot of things they can ignore before they have to finally acknowledge that it's bad. So hopefully as coaches, if we're getting somebody that maybe we can not have to get them to that spot before they, they recognize that there's a problem. And this is, this is not even considering like doing testing, blood work, you know, GI maps, stuff like that. This is just general awareness for people. So, um, talking about it, I mean, real easy, just, it, just having people acknowledge it because, uh, I can just mention it to people and they, and then I'm like, go through your week. How many times do you get frustrated during the week? Make note. How do you feel? I'm, I'm giving them a little, I'm giving them like a little psychological cue and that, that little bit right there is enough for them to realize that they are way more stressed out than they, they should be. Right. Or on the flip side, you might have the person that fully acknowledges that they have the problem, but they just don't know maybe how to fix it. Uh, so my first, you know, my first go is I want some immediate relief. Like we're not, we're not instant gratification coaches. That's not our, not our goal. But at the same time, if I can get symptom relief pretty quickly or get something going pretty quickly, that's encouraging to the person. So that's where our routine stuff comes in. That's where, you know, our, our um, sleep routine comes in. That's where regulating training comes in. You know, if they're overtraining too much activity, we can regulate that stuff quick. Like that's an instant thing that we can do. Right. And then, then we start looking at the more difficult stuff, uh, which would be maybe their situation at work or home isn't really good and maybe they can't change it. Maybe there's really nothing they can do about it. So that's where we have to talk about, well, this is what it is. And this is, you know, these are maybe some things you can do to, to help clean it up. Right. Or we can add in some PNS like parasympathetic activities. Like you talked about deep breathing, like you talked about, um, you know, meditation, like whatever you want to do, anything that, anything that chills you out, I say anything that calms you down besides training, I'm not going to add more training as a stress coping mechanism. Is bad. <laughs> that doesn't help. But we have to just start looking at easiest, maybe moderate 
really difficult stuff to look, you know, to fix. And then we start working our way down to more difficult. Now, while we do that, we can then address the specific issue with our protocol, perhaps, or with dietary changes, right? Um, so we can talk about a few different, few different issues. Um, probably, it's hard for me to say which ones are most common, but I would say in general, um, probably like gut dysbiosis or SIBO and leaky gut are kind of like your most common issues that you're going to see in most people. And that's just for, that's for a few reasons. So um, SIBO is small intestine bacterial overgrowth. That's lower GI tract, right? That's where literally the bad bacteria have now overgrown past the good bacteria. You've lost this balance, right? So that causes, you know, that's going to cause a number of issues because these bacteria dictate um, how we digest food, how neurotransmitters and things are produced. So you're going to start running into issues. Um, and it can be different. Some people will get constipated. Some people will get diarrhea, right? Some people will get brain fog. Some people, will, you know, it's, it's going to be different. Um, so essentially, if you see a SIBO protocol, what you're seeing is you're seeing some type of kill off period where we're trying to use antimicrobials to kill off this bacteria. And then we're trying to repopulate the bacteria with, or the bacteria that we want. Right. And there can be dietary things that we do in there, which would be potentially, um, avoiding highly fermenting foods. Some people that may help, you know, that's your FODMAPs. Um, and then also just implementing all those lifestyle changes in the meantime. And then also just, uh, looking at any other secondary things that might be causing it. Women, birth control, huge cause of SIBO. So birth control is, I don't know. I mean, you could probably, probably maybe find some research on it. It would be difficult, but, uh, birth control will affect motility. Birth control affects hormone balance over time, because obviously birth control is an exogenous hormone or hormones, right? So birth control use. And the thing with birth control is no woman uses birth control for a month. They're using it for like five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, whatever. So it's a really, it's a really big issue, right? Um, the ironic, the ironic thing about birth control that kind of cracks me up is like when these really young girls get put on birth control is super common for things like acne. Well, acne, the acne that they have as a teenager is probably partially related to puberty and hormones, but also partially related to their garbage diets that they eat as teenagers and having skin issues, right? So ironically enough, they're literally adding a medication that's maybe making this issue worse over time, right? So um, birth control, I don't know the exact statistics on it, but I'm sure it's well over 50, like well over the majority of women have used hormonal birth control. I would think it's well over 50% has to be. Oh, yeah. So uh, it's probably over 75% yeah. would be yeah. safe to say. So, and there's obviously varying forms and, and varying degrees of like um, dosages and amounts that are in these medications and that can have, you know, effects, but uh, birth control is one. And then beyond that, um, this beyond that, let's look at things that are really specific to our lifestyle. And that is this like over exercising, over training type of issue. 
that is going to be more less that is some gen pop people but that's like more specific to the the fitness crowd right Mm -hmm. so we are taking people that have all of the same stressors that your normal person has and then we're adding on top of that this really demanding activity which is cns taxing which you know or nervous system taxing which is our training and maybe cardio right so that's accumulating over time um it's it's unfortunate but now i'm getting i get girls that are like 20 that have no hormones 20 they're we're talking like test estrogen progesterone tanked 20 <laughs> like this is absolutely this is ridiculous you know so it's it, and it's this culture that social media breeds this a lot there's a lot of people that are there's a lot of people that talk about these issues but then there's also a lot of people that just and it can be the same people they maybe talk about these issues but they also advertise you know ass and ab pics all the time and it's like this is fitness and people don't realize that the vast majority of females and males there is a point where, you know, there's a point where more of something is not better and a healthy body composition, while that will vary person to person, it's probably not a six pack and boxed out glutes and girls all the time. Like that, show me, find me a, a female that has, that's like that lean all the time and has no health issues, none. And if they don't, if they do, they're either a genetic outlier or they don't have health issues yet, but they will later. Right. So, and I'm, and it can be anything. And if they don't have health issues, they probably have an eating disorder. <laughs> so, so it's just, it's just not what we're designed to look like. You know, it's just in the, and again, there are, there are a small percentage, single digit percentage of people that are like that. But, um, if you find, you know, most women, I, I tell them this because they have this expectation of what they're, what they want to look like because of what they see, like, what would you look like if you exercised a few times a week and you ate around calorie maintenance and you had a general healthy lifestyle? Would you look like that? No. Okay. So what makes you think you can look 50% better than what your natural set point is and maintain that without any ramifications? All you're doing is tipping the scale on one side forever and ever and ever. And eventually you're going to have a problem. Right. So you have have athletes that, I mean, you have this great um, definition and idea of like in your coaching of health first, right. Because a healthy body um, is a more responsive body. Um, So what ends, what ends up happening? Like how, how do you mediate those clients or those athletes that they come to you for a, a goal with how they'd like to look? And you tell them, well, you have digestive issues, so we need to fix that. What do you do? (laughs) Like in that case where they're like, uh, I didn't come to you for this, you know? Right. Right. And it, it depends on it's a, that's a question I get all the time. And and the reason for that is obviously that's a really, that's a really tough sell when (laughs) they're trying to purchase a weight loss coaching program and they're we're literally telling them that no you're not going to lose weight like wait what why am i here so (laughs) you need to this is where i think having at least a a pretty good general understanding of these issues so you can explain this to a client like you you have to assume this person knows nothing 
about this. They don't know anything, right? So they should be able to listen to this podcast right now. And they then they should know enough to understand what we're telling them, right? Like, I'm going to, I'm going to tell them, I'm going to tell them straight up. Like I, I'll ask them and it depends on how bad their issue. If their issue is horrendously bad, then there's no discussion. Like we can't, there's no way around it. And by that time, they probably know they have a problem already. But if it's maybe like a moderate, you know, beginning to moderate type of issue, I'll let them know. I said, Hey, maybe we could lose 10 pounds or 15 or whatever, you know, whatever arbitrary number, but you're going to continue to make this worse. Your results won't be sustainable. There will be a point where you will end up getting worse and not better. And I ethically, that's just not what I'm going to do to you. And I'll tell people this too, said I, as a coach, am not going to knowingly hurt you on purpose. And I'm not going to knowingly make you worse on purpose. Now, I want to get you to that goal, and we probably can get you to that goal, but we need to get your body in the correct position first. So, and I ask people questions because I like to just provoke thought. This is so I'll say things like, I'll say things like, would you rather lose 10 pounds now and gain 15 back later with a whole host of issues, or would you rather take this time and fix this, lose 20 pounds and maintain a healthier lifestyle after you're done? And I would really hope that anyone with any like type of logical thinking would think, oh shit, option B is way better than option right. A. Right. Right? right. But you'd be surprised. Like some people, again, it's that emotional response. They want what they want, they want it now. Mm-hmm. And so maybe I have to even go a step further than that and say something like, like literally this option A is going to make you worse. Option B is going to get better. You want to get better. You want to get worse. I'm dumbing it way down, you know, and they're like, answer me that question. And I'll, and that's like, send email. What's your, I want to, I want to know your response. I would really think if someone's going to literally sit there and tell me that they still want to pursue option A, then that is the point where we have a psychological issue Mm -hmm. and not an issue that is just fixed by some lifestyle changes and some like supplement protocol. That's where, that's the point where it's like, all right, maybe we need to get you talking to a counselor or therapist and getting some additional help because clearly that is literally what that is, is an addict. That's what that is. It's like, you're, you're literally, because I mean, addiction is, and there's different definitions. Addiction's like, um, participating in harmful activities, even knowing that it's harmful, you know, because you want a result or taking harmful substances, you know, whatever it is, right? This is the same thing. You're knowingly doing something that's hurting you and making you worse and not getting you towards your goal. It's literally taking you away from your goal, but you're still doing it, even though you have a professional in front of you that's told you that you still want to do it. Um, I had a guy recently and I'm sure he won't listen to this. So it's, it's whatever, but emailed me something was having some, having a lot of problems. He had a lot of stress. There was some relationship stuff. There was you know, a lot of life stuff going on, not necessarily his fault. Like it was just a bad situation, you know, and he already had some other stuff that was, his body was very stressed out. It was not responding. Um, and he was an enhanced guy. So he was, you know, he was using PDs and he wanted to, he wanted, he's like, 
told him, Hey, we need to fix this. I think your goal is perfectly attainable, but we need to kind of like clean this stuff up, get, make sure, get your life back on track da, 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 before we do this. Like, well, what if I told you that I was going to go ahead and take the supplements and still do that? Anyhow, would you still coach me? No, <laughs> it's like, stuff like, you know, that, but that's the kind of mentality that we're dealing with, with yeah. people, right? They literally, we're literally breaking it down to the point where even though they don't know what the issues are, they know that it's bad. They know that it's bad, but they still do it, which, which the interesting part about that is it's even less, it's even more of a bizarre addictive behavior compared to something like drugs or alcohol, because at least drugs and alcohol, when you do it, you get an immediate, Mm -hmm. like you get an immediate response that makes you feel a certain way. So they, so people seek that, right? Whereas this kind of thing we're getting people that they seek to the exercise because the endorphins and all that, you know, so on and so forth, but they feel so shitty that they're not even getting a positive response anymore and they still want to do it. Right. So they, there's no positive. It's, it's just psychologically ingrained in their head that if they don't do more or do do this, that they are not going to meet their goal, even though we're telling them that it's the opposite of what they should be doing. So it's a really, it's a really bad yeah. addiction. Like it's just bizarrely bad. <laughs> it's like they're married or addicted to the idea of, of thinking of, of like a, a flawed mindset. Like it's like, they, like they're like, I have to get better with more cardio. So I'm going to do more cardio. I have to get better if I train seven days a week. So I'm going right. to do that seven days a week. There's, and they can't seem to like, get out of that mindset it's almost like the mindset of it is what they're addicted to or or married to or feel like they can't be without and um, yeah it's crazy like but i mean we've talked a a lot about like what digestion shouldn't look like what should digestion look like so optimal digestion like what should it look like in off season and prep physique athletes like That's a good question because now that so many people are talking about digestion, I think people get really nervous when they like, they'll fart like one time during the day. Oh my God. Oh my God. I have SIBO. No, no, no. That's me. No, that's me. Totally. I'll be like, oh my gosh, Mark, Mark, I have problems now. Like, and he's like, no, you just had a big meal. Like, right. Yeah. So that, so that's funny because this, all this information and, and this new awareness breeds this hypochondriac like type of mindset, right? Um, so that's that's also a problem. But um, some fluctuation and changes in digestion are normal. Like the bacteria, gut microbiome is so difficult for people to research because it literally changes constantly. And of course, that's not to mention that there are like billions and trillions of different bacteria. So that's also difficult. But um, it's always moving. Every time you move your body, me talking right now, my microbiome's responding, it's doing something right. Um, it's always changing. Every time you train, there's a, there's a change in what your digestive system doing. Every time that you sleep, every time that you eat. So it's not abnormal to see little fluctuations. Um, it's, I just tell people it's, it's a, an acute versus a chronic trend. If we're seeing, if I have a week, I see one week if somebody has maybe some differences in their sleep schedule or training, or they had a little bit of stress or whatever it might be, or even maybe they didn't even have those things. Maybe like, eh, my stomach was a little upset one day. I had a little gassing one day. 
but they're good 95% of the time and they don't have any other. It's not something that I'm seeing reoccurring all the time. That's not a digestive issue, right? A digestive issue is seeing one of these negative things, which could be maybe you're really gassy, like chronically gassy, not talking like a few times a day. I'm talking like, you know, multiple times an hour, or you are bloated, not, not bloated after, not like full after eating a meal, you're like randomly bloated, right? Or you're constipated, not like constipated for one day, constipated as in you don't have regular bowel movements, right? Or you have diarrhea, not diarrhea one time, not diarrhea, you know, here, you know, every once in a great while, because of some stress response, you have it chronically all the time. See, there's like, there's a difference between your body responding to something and you actually having a digestive issue, right? Because you got to think our body's fighting off a lot of things all the time. Like things we even like things that we breathe in in the air, things that maybe can cross contaminate stuff, germs, all this stuff. So there could be instances where you maybe have like a really low grade bacterial issue or a really low grade virus or something that your body's battling that maybe it's like, man, I had some loose stools yesterday. I'm not really sure why. Like I don't feel bad. And then it goes away and it's never, and it doesn't come back. Who freaking knows? Like you could have, like there could have been multiple things going on that, that was, you know, your body was trying to fight off. So um, just think of it as, just think of it as trends over time versus like a one time or, you know, multiple or a couple times situation. Those, that would be the difference between a digestive issue and something that's maybe just an adjustment by your body. Yeah, for sure. And then as far as like off, like obviously like off season, you were really emphasizing digestion. I mean, in prep too, but off season in prep is different because off season, your digestive issues stem from a lot different things. Like you have lots more food going more consistent, constantly using your digestive system or as prep your digestive issues. If you have any might be different, like, because you have less food, it might be a fiber issue, things like that. So like optimal digestion for like the off season versus prep. Um, what do you, what is that for you? Okay. Yeah. I think food quantity is going to be the big one, right? Of course, feeling again, feeling full versus feeling bloated, like, Hey coach, I'm really full by the end of the day. Well, no shit. You just ate, you know, a bajillion fucking calories all day long. Like, yeah. Okay. Noted. Right. (laughs) It's like, that's, that is not a digestive issue. This is waking up bloated, really bloated, like looking like you did when you went to bed. Uh, That's different. You know, that's a different story, but having um, digestion speed or transit time, the motility, like the muscles that move things through and how long it takes for your body to empty and stuff. It's longer than people think you don't. That's why meal frequency even is something to consider. Like if you eat higher meal frequency, you know, talking like that six meal a day or, or more for some people, you're going to have overlap in digestion. You are not going to digest a meal fully and then eat another meal. Later in the day, as the day goes on, you are going to have food that is still there being digested from previous meals. Like it's going to overlap, right? So that it's not, it wouldn't be abnormal to feel full by the end of the day, or even, um, even like a little uncomfortably full if you are eating a lot of food. So, excuse me, other things that could happen would be um, lack of digestive resources, like acidity. Um, bile, things like that. 
So digestive acids, maybe not having enough acid to break down larger amounts of food because we're not really designed to eat, you know, thousands of calories in a day. That's just not really what a person's made to do. Now, can you do it and maintain pretty good digestion? Yeah. I think your body adapts to it and you can, you know, we can do supplemental things. Like I can give you an example. I can just use myself an example because my calories get really super high most of the time. Um, basic things I do to die to help with digestion would be, um, chewing. That was always one of them. Don't, you know, I don't pound tons of fluid and stuff with my meals, you know, trying to keep my stomach acidic, just kind of sip water. Most of my fluids I drink between meals, um, being calm when I eat, you know, basic stuff we talked about. And then supplementally, I like to use, I will use like betaine HCL in the off season, especially because all that I'm doing is really trying to create a more acidic environment to break down larger amounts of food, especially as males, when you're talking like high pro, you know, because males generally eat higher protein than females. So, um, that would be one. And even bile and acid are kind of like your two main, because bile is going to be more fat digestion, carbohydrates digest pretty easily. Um, so for bile, I'll use like, you can, I mean, there's multiple things. I will go straight to Tudka, which is literally bile salt, basically attached to a taurine molecule. You can do that. So those things right there, get my digestion moving. And then if I feel real sluggish, then I'll use a motility agent, which would literally encourage the peristalsis or the muscles to help move that food. Um, things like ginger are, is a good motility agent. Or if you want to use um, like magnesium citrate, it's a good motility agent. You can use that. It doesn't absorb very well, which is why it's not really like a good form of magnesium for like, you know, brain health. But um, there's three things like right there that's going to drastically help your digestion move more efficiently and then add those little mealtime tips and relaxation tips and stuff in. Um, and that's not even mentioning diet, like food selection, right? I'm not going to, if I'm eating 6,000 calories, I'm not eating 6,000 calories of chicken and rice. Like yeah. it's just this, it's not a good idea because that volume of food is going to be just Tragic. ridiculous. I'm not going to give it a threat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it's awful. So I, you got to get creative. Like I, I've got really creative with foods when it gets that high. I even posted an off season or a really high calorie diet that I was doing. I watched it. It's, on YouTube. it's, it's on YouTube. Yeah. And it's really bizarre looking, right? Because it's like, yeah, it's crazy. I, I was like, what? I, yeah. <laughs> I have whole foods in there. Like I'm, I do have whole foods. Like there's a little fish in the diet. There's some chicken there's some rice, potatoes, like normal stuff. There's some fruit, you know, it's normal stuff, but I'm supplementing those calories with like liquids and powders and um, oils for fats and stuff like that. So that's, so don't be afraid to think outside of the box in terms of how you eat food wise, you know, uh, because volume, right. You, if you're eating four pounds of food in a meal, <laughs> it's not going to, it's not going to digest very well. Right. right. Um, you, even when you're uh, drinking a lot of like your carbs and stuff, are you like, you, you like don't want food at all. Usually are you like not, you have no appetite. Um, well, the body's, the body's super interesting because every, if you've ever been in a, a really extreme deficit, you know, that everything tastes good, right? It doesn't even matter. 
like everything tastes good. Stuff that you really like tastes even better and stuff that's maybe like a plain rice cake. If you're really freaking hungry, like, Oh, this tastes pretty good. You know, whereas the body, the palatability of food completely changes when you're pushing calories so high for not for a day, you can yeah, eat junk food time. all, you can eat junk food all day long and you'd probably be fine. By the end of the day, you'd be sick of it. But I'm talking like weeks, months, and then your palatability completely changes. It was so funny because I, I've done that, you know, multiple times now. And I've literally, I'm like, think of your absolute favorite food. You think no matter what you could eat it, maybe it's like a, a sweet, or maybe you like cookies or cheesecake or I don't know, whatever. Think about it tasting like absolute trash. And, and that's, that's really what happens because your body is really trying to figure out ways for you to not want to eat. So appetites, non-existent palatability's trash. So I had a friend that was, uh, she was somebody I know she, she would make like, uh, really calorically dense, you know, like those bars and stuff that are like really dense. And you could, I'm like, see if you can make me something that's like 2000 calories in a bar, but has almost no flavor. Can you make that? <laughs> like, I want those because I, I want it to taste like nothing. I yeah. would stop putting condiments on stuff. I stopped doing, I mean, my intro workouts were so damn big that I stopped doing any flavored like intro workouts. Cause it's just, I would just want to gag. And yeah. I totally, so, I, I, at my highest intake with Mark, I remember we were pushing like for me, I'm little, so I'm, I'm 4'11 and I'm like, you know, at the time I was like 130 almost. And that was like the heaviest I ever been. And, um, I would like at the sight of food, I would sweat. I my body would, I would literally start sweating. Like, or like if for my pre-workout meal, I had cream of rice or something, I would eat the cream of rice, just plain, like, just like as is. Cause I was like right. getting sick off of the flavoring from protein powder or anything else. I w or st stevia or anything. I would just eat it just as is. And that was hard. Yep. And, um, I know this is more of an off season talk now, not so much a digestion talk, but like, that's how it should feel. in in the off when you get really high calories like that, sometimes it gets like that. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. You don't, I did, you don't want it. I did know? some bizarre, bizarre stuff. I mean, <laughs> I had a, I have another client that his calories get like that. And we always joke, like, if you drink water with meals, you're wasting the calories. There should always be calories in your liquid that you drink it's, <laughs> with, with meals. So it's like, meals would be like lemonade and, you know, shit like that. So it's, it could get, and obviously that's extreme and that's going to apply to not a lot of people, right? And most of the people that we're talking about is probably not going to apply to them, but, but the, the general tips might apply to a lot of people. And then you mentioned prep or digestion during fat loss phases, which that's might be a little bit different probably the main thing that you're dealing with there is more of the stress response, like your body being stressed out from extra activity. If you're doing that or just being stressed out from being in a deficit a long time. So that's going to be more just being cognizant of like, don't eat too fast because you're freaking hungry, right? Actually still chew your food. Don't just inhale it down. Um, same thing with fluids. We drink fluids. Maybe you drink water or maybe you drink like a, like some kind of zero calorie flavored beverage or something that you might like just be aware that you're not just hammering tons of that stuff and watering down digestive acids. 
So do you really need to supplement a lot during those times? Probably not. Like you're probably not going to lack acid. You're probably not going to lack bile. You're not going to lack enzymes. It's just more of a matter of um, being in a calm enough parasympathetic state to actually digest the food. So that's more of a problem. Then, of course, you had mentioned fiber, which could be an issue. You know, if calories get low, carbohydrates are low, your dietary fiber can get get low. One thing to think about is if you do have smaller bowels or a little bit less frequent bowels, it might not necessarily mean that you're constipated. If you're not eating much, there's not much waste, but you still should be going every day. You know, it's not like, it's not like you're going to go from like, I mean, I was going like five times a day during, Yeah, that. I was going to ask about the frequency. Cause obviously oh. like you know, like when I was listening to your podcast with Marty, he said he's like clockwork after every meal, he goes to the bathroom. And I'm like, go, go every meal, go, 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 which, but of course in, in prep, I still, I still maintain that actually my body's kind of similar, but it'll be a little bit less and it's a lot less. The bowels are smaller, sure. right? Because, and, you know, and just don't, and another thing we talk about food selection, don't be a moron with your food selection and try to eat like three pounds of vegetables at every meal, you know, mm-hmm. just be careful that we talk about lack of fiber, but also abundance, abundance of fiber is an issue. And this is where I don't, this is where really like liberal flexible dieting becomes an issue with some people because there becomes this game of trying to make your meal as big as you possibly can volume wise to, and you know, with things like protein puddings and protein fluffs and like all this stuff. And like, listen, if your meal weighs three pounds, but it's 200 calories, there is a big discrepancy between volume and calories that's coming in with the meal. You're going to have a digestive issue with that. Right. Um, it's okay to feel hungry too. I think it's, it's not fun necessarily, but, um, hunger is okay to feel it's, it's a normal, you know, it's a normal physiological thing that happens. So I think understanding that is, is going to be important for people. In fact, if you've had past digestive issues and you're, you're helping someone, them getting hungry is a big win. Like you're like, Oh, you're getting hungry again. Like that hunger is coming. So that's, that's telling you that digestive efficiency is kind of going up. Right. So, um, it's okay to be hungry. I think it's good to feel hungry, you know, at least, you should have at least one point during the day where you're hungry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you know? like some, I've, I find sometimes, especially when calories tend to be a little bit higher when maybe you're not in prep where like they're maybe a little higher and um, people are, they think they need more food because their hunger cues or they're reversing and their hunger cues are like going crazy. Um, and they're like, I need more food. Like I, I felt hungry at 12 o'clock today. And um <laughs> it's, it's not necessarily something that needs to be a, a demonizer. Like that's a bad thing, or it doesn't mean that you're not eating enough food. I think people associate it. Like I'm not eating enough food if I'm hungry. Um, right. And that's not always the case. So no. And, and post post show and post diet phase are the hungers coming from more of a hormonal and, and hormone hunger hormone response. Like our bodies want to get back to being fat again. It's kind of what happens like you anyone that's been lean even not even contest lean but like decently lean and they know that after that you could have just eaten your face off and you still want to eat that is not feeling 
It's oh, very yeah. strange. <laughs> I did a I did a podcast on that too, if anyone's interested. So that's it'd be on my page. I think it was called like post show hunger hormones 101 or something like that. So that was that's a really interesting phenomenon. If you've never experienced that, it's a very that's what binge eating feels like. Yeah. It's a very bizarre. It's like you, that's like the stand in front of the cupboard and know that you're really full, but your body's telling you to just grab something out of there, even though you, you know that you don't need it. It's terrible. It, it's, it's awful. Very bad. It's very bad. <laughs> Not good. So, um, was there anything else, any like common questions that maybe you guys get that you wanted me to hit on? I know I talked a little bit about some specific stuff and digestion for, deficits, surpluses. And obviously each one of those things could almost be like its own, its own podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, actually. Well, I guess maybe just to finish this out, maybe what are some tips that you'd like to give your own clients for optimizing their digestion? I know you kind of touched on things here and there, but maybe like a, a short and sweet list just to kind of put a final nail in the coffin on this topic. Sure. Yeah. So some of the things I already mentioned would be like mealtime tips, right? Keeping water pretty low. I, you know, just drink what you need to wash down a meal. Um, chew. Digestion starts in the mouth. That's a funny one. Digestion does start in the mouth, but it's not very much digestive activity, but you should still chew your food because a liquid or a, like a slimy substance going down your throat versus like chunks of steak digests completely different speeds. So okay. chew, um, being in a calm state, it's not even, you don't have to like meditate for 20 minutes for you eat. That's absolutely ridiculous. And nobody has time for that. It's like, it could just be general awareness. If you're multitasking and doing a bunch of stuff, take five deep breaths, soft belly breaths, like soft belly breaths. The easiest way to tell if you've never done them is when you breathe in and out, if you're diet, if you're chest breathing a bunch, you're probably sympathetic and you're like, if you can actually breathe in and out of your belly pretty easily, you're probably parasympathetic. So that's like a really easy way to think about that. If you're sitting there breathing and you're like, do breaths until you can start keeping your chest down and start using your belly to breathe, then start eating, right? It takes what? 10 seconds to do it. Not a big deal. Very easy. Um, and then also the rest of it, those are mealtime, but the rest of it is more so what you're doing throughout the day and as a whole, right? And that's going to be routine is your friend. You know, granted, it's boring, but getting up, going to bed at the same times, eating at similar times. You, if you ever have eaten on a routine and then you get out of the routine, like, man, I normally eat at 10 a.m., but I didn't eat at 10 a.m., but I'm still hungry at 10 a.m. Your body, your actual ghrelin, your hunger hormone works on a circadian clock. So like it's, you're going to get hungry at the same times for the most part every day. If you're routine, that makes digestion easier. Um, there's actually, you know, there's research on this. Like you can see it. That's why meal frequencies can change. Like you could adapt to eating two meals a day. If you did it long enough, your hunger hormones are adapt. Like, you know, the people that this person that they, they have a shit lifestyle. They get up, they drink a bunch of fuck coffee, like do all this, you know, whatever. And then they eat like one meal later in the day, but they're not hungry all day. Well, that's because their, their hunger hormone is like, well, 
you know, see you later. We don't need, you know, we're not here. So, but you, on the flip side, if you eat super frequently, you'll be hungry more frequently. Right. So routine is your friend. Right. So those are those. And then obviously stress reduction, which that's like its own, that's like its own. It's own mini series. (laughs) Right. But those are going to be probably your biggest things. Everyone's like, what supplements do I take? I mean, you know, just, are you doing all these things first? Mm-hmm. Right. And most of the time the answer is no, no, I'm a little, I'm a little more, like I said before, I mean, nobody's, nobody's not ever going to get stressed. It's just a matter of, it's just a matter of how long do you let it stick around type of thing, you know? So yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little beyond that point, but at the same time, I, I kind of don't like knowing as much as I do sometimes because that's also, that's also a crutch, right? <laughs> I feel the same way. I was literally just telling my friend about this. I was like, I, I feel like I, I wish I didn't know as much as I do because everything is like, oh, that's stress. So that's that. Oh, that's that. It's like, oh, it's like overanalyzing like, everything. It's like, oh sh- shit, my blood glucose went up five points. Let's dive in to see why. Oh, my sleep wasn't as good. Or like I got into a fight with my spouse or something like that. You just start like down this rabbit yeah. hole. I mean, like, it's What's- all about how we were talking about earlier, self-awareness. Like I posted something a few, like a couple of weeks ago about confidence. Like, and I said, I'm as confident as I am very self-aware, like I'm self-aware. And so therefore I'm very sure in my decisions and everything's prepared for me every single day. And so I'm very sure of it. And so I can be self-aware because I'm not thinking about 50 million other things. Like I'm just thinking about the one thing that I need to get done every single day, which is execute my plan. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, ironically, ironically, I track less stuff than I used to track on myself and it helps so much just because well, it's because I know my own body like super well by now, but, uh, but yeah, this information overload, believe it or not, tracking your blood glucose 15 times a day, probably give you a digestive issue. FYI. (laughs) (laughs) Just let you know. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Like this was awesome. I learned so much just listening to you speak and I'm sure that the the listeners will also learn a lot too so is there anything you want to plug like before you go uh yeah I mean anyone interested in digestion I do have a class on that you can I have a recording for that which is available so if you are interested let me know I go over a lot in that class Mm -hmm. uh and then you know, if you are interested in any services, whether that be education, mentorship, coaching, all that, you know, whatever, you can always reach out. Easiest way to find me is my social media, both my Facebook and Instagram have a link tree in there. And and my email is in my bio on both of them. So you can just send it over and consults. I do consults as well. If you don't have, if you're not interested in long-term stuff, I do one-time consults for any type of Anything you can imagine, I've pretty much done it at this point. So cool. there you go. Awesome. Thank well, you thank so you. much. And I can just say that I am a, uh, I am a mentee of Austin and I cannot speak highly enough of his mentorship program with the educational pieces that he gives the guidance that he gives with any of your questions is just practically priceless. You know, like it's just amazing what he offers. And so if you are interested in that, again, I cannot speak highly enough of him and his mentorship. 
Yeah. For and sure. I'm not his, I'm not a mentee, but I watch all his stuff and I take notes. And Yo, I'm, I'm obsessed. Notes. Like literally if you I'm look like at my YouTube obsessed. history, it's literally Austin Stout. <laughs> and then like some, like something else, like adrenals or something. It's like, boom, I'll have like a video selection. of just Austin Stout adrenals. Like it's, it's pretty <laughs> embarrassing. <laughs> like Austin cat videos. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Spot on. <laughs> So sometimes Nick Walker stuff. But yeah, sometimes, stuff. you know, so here and there. Well, thank you so much for being here. And we will catch you all next week with another episode. Again, we don't know what we're talking about. We'll figure it out. <laughs>